you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. G Suite by Google Cloud is a suite of cloud-based productivity tools that includes Gmail, Docs, Slides, Sheets, and Drive. You can make real-time updates to the same document without having to keep track of multiple versions. And since all the tools are cloud-based, your whole team can access the same document and work on the same page at the same time. Make it with G Suite by Google Cloud. To find out more, visit gsuite.com. And now, move the sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Hey everybody, what's going on? DJ Bucky here. A little move the sticks action going on, Buck. We've got uh, we've got some NFL action, we've got some college action, and we've got a, a fun guest today. Yeah, we have a really fun guest. Jordan Palmer is going to join us to talk all things quarterbacks. And look, he's a great expert having worked with all these young guys. Uh, not only the guys that we're seeing the young guys in the pros, but the young guys that are in the pipeline. It'd be interesting to get his take on some of the guys that we work together with during the Elite 11 process. Yeah, kind of let's uh, we'll do a little progress report here on some of these uh, young rookie NFL quarterbacks and maybe get a glimpse of what's to come here in this next quarterback class. Looking forward to that conversation there uh, with Jordan Palmer. But we've got to start things off as we always do, Buck, at this time of the week, and that's uh, going through each game yeah, hold of on, the but, NFL weekend. You ready yeah, to roll? Yeah, before before we even get to that, because the first game we're going to talk about will be the Saints and the Bengals, but I want to get your take on what do you think about the Dez Bryant signing at this time of the year? Like, how do you think it impacts the Saints? Have you ever been a part uh, when you are at Baltimore or Philly? Did you ever sign a vet in the middle of the season to kind of push you over the top? Yeah, I can't remember. You know, this is kind of a new development, I think, seeing this much movement. And obviously, Des Bryant wasn't a trade. It was a signing. But seeing this much movement uh, in the middle of the NFL season, I think that's relatively new over the last couple of years. You didn't used to see much of that. Uh, but to me, this is, uh, you know, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's six teams that Des Bryant could go to and have a big time impact. I, I really, I really believe that. But I do think there's a couple teams that fit him beautifully, and he can have an impact. And and this is definitely one of them because what is the knock? I mean, you've said it numerous times. The knock on Des Bryant is he doesn't create any separation. So you need to be playing with somebody that's ridiculously accurate because you don't have a lot of space, and he can make contested catches. Well, who's better at placing the football, maybe in the history of the NFL? Than Drew Brees, so I think to me this is the the perfect spot for him, and I expect him to be successful. I think he'd be a big success in New Orleans. There are a couple of things that I think um, at play for the New Orleans Saints. When I was in Green Bay, uh, Ron Wolf always kind of had like a, a a veteran, a hole card that he would keep in his pocket that he would bring on board right after the trade deadline. Uh, when I was in Green Bay, he had brought in Andre Risen late. Uh, on a Super Bowl run in 96. He also had brought in other veterans like Mark Collins and guys that he would just bring in kind of as the designated hitter. Not necessarily that you needed them to get over the top, but sometimes in a playoff game, a veteran player can come in and make a play that could be the difference. When I look at the Saints and I look at how they're trending, they're coming off a big win versus the L.A. Rams. But Sean Payton has enough foresight to think about the teams that he'll have to match up with in the playoffs and maybe in the Super Bowl and know that on offense, they may need a little more firepower because you have Mike 
Michael Thomas, you have Kamara and Ingram. But really, beyond that, there are a bunch of unknowns. Yes, you have Benjamin Watson, but Benjamin Watson is 37 years old. Can he be a major factor when teams really start to clamp in and hone in on what you do? Bringing Dez Bryant gives them a guy that, at his best, maybe is the third option. Um, a guy that can win in the slot and they can create some things. But really, with a great quarterback in Drew Brees and a great schemer in Sean Payton, I think they still can elevate Des Bryant despite his deficiencies. To me, I look at this as a, a, a move that could have the potential of what Larry Fitzgerald has been able to do in his later years, going to the slide, create some opportunities for him to be productive despite his skills declining. I really like the move for the Saints, and I really like the move for Des Bryant because I think he went to one of the only spots that were a great fit for where he is in his career. I agree with you completely. The other thing that we ought to look at here is uh, when you look at Michael Thomas and how big and physical he is, you think about the run game. You think about wide receivers being able to body up corners yes. and really impact the run game. Des Bryant, one of the biggest, strongest wide receivers uh, we've seen over the last decade. So if he's committed, if he's committed and in, in all in and can help you just as a, as a blocker with him and Michael Thomas out there, you're not going to find two uh, bigger, more physical wide receivers in the run game. So you can have an impact there as well. Yeah, I think it, it, it goes to the thing. The one thing that came out when you looked at the tape of this game, they were more physical than the Rams. Like, they took it to the Rams in terms of their physicality and toughness. That offensive line is probably the best offensive line in football. You add another physical player in Des Bryant, it continues to kind of go to that identity of what they're trying to create. Because as, as, as much as we talk about Drew Brees in the passing game, at the end of the day, this is a balanced team that can lean on the running game when they need to win games. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get right to it then. First game, uh, one that Des Bryant will be playing in. Saints at Bengals. Yeah, this is a big one for the Saints. I mean, coming off that big emotional win over the Rams, this is not an easy one. You go on the road, take on the Cincinnati Bengals, and I know A.J. Green's not playing here, Buck. Uh, but for this Saints team, to me, I think it's imperative they get off to a hot start here, get, get on the Bengals early. Um, you get a little bit of a tendency coming off that emotional game, kind of sleepwalk through the first quarter. Uh, you don't want to do that. Even without A.J. Green, this offense uh, can put up some points. So I don't think you want to get in a hole uh, early on on the road against Cincinnati. I think a hot start will be key for the Saints. Yeah, this is a big game for the New Orleans Saints. Um, we talk about teams being able to show their maturity. They have to take care of business on the road. Big emotional win against the L.A. Rams. And then you come back and play a Cincinnati Bengals team that has been kind of sitting at home after the bye. I think this is one where Tyler Boyd will get an opportunity to be the number one playmaker that he thinks he can be. I look for Andy Dalton to kind of find a way to target Tyler Boyd. We've seen him work inside in the slot. He has really been a handful for people trying to defend him. I think this is a game where he has to get eight to ten touches and then lean on Joe Mixon. If they do that, I think the Bengals can get a surprising win because I do believe the Saints may be ripe for being picked. Falcons at Browns. Well, this is all about speed for me with the Falcons, and it's about speed on the defensive side of the ball. You know, they had those injuries early on in the year. You lose a Keanu Neal. Uh, you lose a Deion Jones. Good news is uh, Deion Jones is going to be coming back here before too long, and I love the addition that they made. Once the Raiders decided to move on from Bruce Irvin, I, I, I kind of identified this team thinking about it. This is a perfect fit for him. Go with a defensive coach and Dan Quinn we has a familiarity with, but go there where they appreciate speed. When you have Vic Beasley, Tack McKinley, and now you throw in a Bruce Irvin, uh, this is a team, again, get the lead early with your explosive offense and then be able to rush the passer with a whole lot of speed. Uh, I'm anxious to see what this uh, this new addition looks like here for the Falcons defense. Hey, I love the move for the Atlanta Falcons defense. Bruce Irvin um, fits a nice role that they have available on their team. They have those pass rushers that you talked about, Tack McKinley. You now bring in Bruce Irvin. You have Vic Beasley. You have all these guys that can kind of rush the passer. The thing about them, they all are kind of built the same. They can't be necessarily every down players that play all 60 minutes, but you can't rotate those guys in. For the Browns, it's all about trying to find a way to make Baker Mayfield more efficient and more effective. You got to protect them. You got these young offensive tackles that are having a tough time. That pass rush and when the Falcons heat them up, it can make it tough. And then for Baker Mayfield, it is taking care of the ball. We've kind of hit that rookie low where now he's had enough tape. Teams are beginning to adjust to what they're doing. How does he find a way to have success? He knows he can't outrun them. He has to be able to throw from the pocket and really pick this team apart. Lions at Bears. Well, I'm not going to try and be too creative on this one. I think it's pretty obvious. You give up 10 sacks the week before, you better play better along the offensive line if you're the Detroit Lions. Now, going back through, 
and 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 watching that sack reel of, of the ten sacks they gave up, nine of the ten sacks with a four-man rush. That just can't happen if you're the Lions. Also, Matthew Stafford holding on to the ball a little bit uh, too long at times. So establish the run in this football game. They're going to have to keep a tight end, and they're going to have to keep backs in. They're going to have to to max protect and keep Stafford upright. They just they can't go into it saying, we're going to have our five block your four. They've proven they can't do that uh, last week against a very good Minnesota front, and they're going to see a good front here in the Bears. They're going to see a really good front. And for the Bears, I think this is all about their defense. As much as we want to make the Bears make the story about their offense and what Matt Nagy has done to really help the quarterback, this team is built on their defense. And when their defense plays well, they have a chance in every game. This is a big game for them because it's a division game. It's a game that is at home and it's a game that I think that they should win. I want to see what that defense looks like. If that defense comes to play, I think the Bears march to another win. Cardinals at Chiefs. All right, Buck, every day when I drive home, I see a big billboard, um, and it's uh, all different concerts that are coming up in the area, right? And the Mm -hmm. one that I saw, it's always like people that are kind of on that BC celebrity list right now, maybe on the backside of their careers. Uh, One up there right now is Paula Abdul. Apparently, Paula Abdul (laughs) still sings. She still travels. Uh, And there is a point here to talking about Paula Abdul because – the Arizona Cardinals and Josh Rosen specifically have to avoid the Paula Abdul syndrome because they just took two steps forward, Buck. But they can't take two steps back. <laughs> can't take two steps back. So that's what needs to happen here. Let's keep it rolling. We've seen Josh Rosen start to get into a little bit of rhythm, gain some confidence. Uh, a lot of times with rookie quarterbacks, it is that roller coaster ride. Let's see if he can avoid taking that step back here. That's a roundabout way to get there, but trust me, it was worth it. I mean, you, you kind of get there. I mean, I. I, I dig it. I mean, <laughs> don't was, tell anyway. me that you wouldn't like Paul Abdul when you were young. I mean, straight up now, tell me. I I do, but but I do like it. Um, I think in this one, uh, we can talk about the Cardinals making progress, but I I just don't know how they're gonna slow down this Chiefs offense. I think this is another test. The Chiefs are playing at home. They expected to win. They probably should win by a bunch. Can Pat Mahomes and the rest of this crew keep their foot on the gas? Andy Reid has done a great job of getting off to quick starts on these teams. The Cardinals have a tough time scoring. So look for that opening script, that first 12 to 15 plays to feature a bunch of plays for them to try and put 14 points on the board. I think it's just a matter of Pat Mahomes dealing the cards. Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt, letting those guys make plays. When he does that, he just kind of stays in rhythm. I think this machine rolls. I love what the Chiefs are bringing. I think it continues. Patriots at Titans. Well, here we go. This is the Patriots versus the former Patriots uh, in this one. And uh, to me, the key for the Patriots going on the road to take on the Titans team, a Titans team that, by the way, at home has, has beaten the Philadelphia Eagles. We saw them just go on the road and pick up a win against the Dallas Cowboys, a Cowboys team uh, coming off a bye that had two weeks to prepare for them. So you better show up. You can't just uh, roll your helmets out there and hope you're going to get out there and win the football game. That's not going to happen. And I would say the key for the Patriots – is stopping one of their former teammates in Deion Lewis. I think, to me, he's kind of the engine that makes this offense go. Um, we've seen Derrick Henry you know, run a little bit better recently. Uh, but to me, the guy that, that you have a little bit of fear of is Deion Lewis. What he does running the football on the perimeter, what he does in the passing game, particularly in the screen game, is something you got to slow down if you're the Patriots. Yeah, it is something that you definitely have to slow down. Uh, Deion Lewis is a big factor in their, in their offense. And I think the bigger thing has been, Marcus Mariota appears to be kind of finding his way in Matt LaFleur's offense. The last couple games, he's completed over 70% of his passes in both of those games, three-to-one touchdown to interception ratio, and we're beginning to see him use his legs more. In the last two games, we've seen 17 rushing attempts for Marcus Mariota, and I'm not saying that they should run him extensively, but they should allow him to be the player that we all saw at Oregon. As he begins to figure out and figure out his groove, his rhythm within this offense, I think he can challenge him. I don't know if the Titans have enough firepower to do it, but I do believe defensively they can make this game very, very competitive. It's going to be on number eight. Marcus Mariota has to make enough plays to push them over the top. We'll see if he can get it done. Redskins at Buccaneers. I'll stick with the music theme here, Buck, and I'll go with Eminem, uh, My Name Is, because that's what (laughs) needs to happen with this Redskins offensive line, they better wear name tags, man. They had so many injuries. There are so many new faces uh, getting plugged into the starting lineup. I just, man, I know they, they've got a gift in that they're playing the Bucks, who are not very good defensively. But, man, I don't know. That's just That seems like it's too much up front with the injuries they've had to be able to put it together in a short amount of time to get that running game where it needs to be. 
Uh, because you know, passing-wise, this is not the most explosive offense for the Redskins. And you have to figure that the Buccaneers on the other side, uh, they're going to put up some points, as they always do. So this is, a, this is a tough one for the Redskins. It is a tough one for the Washington Redskins because for them to win, offensively, they have to be able to run the ball. They have to control it. Uh, they can't necessarily put it in Alex Smith's hands and, I'll, and make him throw it 35, 40, 45 times. That's not how they're built. That's not how they're constructed. However, they're playing a team that can put – the ball in the air. They can be very, very effective. If Ryan Fitzpatrick is hot, this is an offense that is hard to slow down. I think this is a scary game for the Washington Redskins because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers kind of challenge and threaten what they don't necessarily do well, and that is defend on the perimeter. Josh Norman is going to have his hands full with Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans. I don't like this matchup for the Washington Redskins. Bills at Jets. Well, it's a, uh, a little bit of a mystery here to see who's going to play quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. It's been a carousel there. Uh, we'll see what happens. One thing we do know on the other side, the Jets, uh, Sam Donald with a little foot sprain, so he's not going to be out there. We'll see Josh McCown. And I think, you know, the way both these teams have played recently, you say the first one to, what, 14? Uh, you get the 14 points and you win the football <laughs> game? I mean, it has not been uh, exciting to watch here with these two offenses. Uh, but I'll say the key here for the Bills, just don't turn the ball over. Make this Jets offense – even though I think they'll be a little bit more productive with the veteran and Josh McCown, uh, make this offense travel the length of the field. No, no turnovers, no short fields, and I think you try and keep this thing low scoring and close uh, at the end if you're the Buffalo Bills. I mean, I think it's a great strategy for the Buffalo Bills. The problem is one of their quarterbacks is going to eventually have to play, and he's going to have to throw the ball. <laughs> and typically when one of their quarterbacks throws the ball, it goes in the other direction. Uh, for the New York Jets, I think the game plan is the same. Don't give the Buffalo Bills anything cheap. Take care of the ball. Don't don't give them anything underneath. Make them drive the length of the field because typically they don't have enough firepower to be able to score. This is a game where turnovers will be the deciding factor. Uh, both defenses are about the same. It really comes down to quarterback play and who takes care of the ball. I trust that Josh McCown will take care of the ball better than the guys on the other side. Oh, and he's not hot. Jaguars at Colts. Uh, this to me is all about the Jags defense and uh, and slowing down Andrew Luck. I believe Andrew Luck, I think six and two all time against Jacksonville. He's done a nice job uh, playing against that football team. But I think this defense has a lot of pride. This season has not gone uh, the way they would like. And even though the Colts' offensive line, you can make a case, Buck, the most improved group in the NFL. I think the Jaguars' defensive line gets after him a little bit in this game. I think that's going to be something to watch that matchup. Their D line working against that Colts O line. I mean, yeah, they're going to have to worry about it. It was funny. I was trying to be cute because I was like, it's the return of the Mac. We're also thinking about songs and themes yeah, and whatever. But, but Marlon, Marlon Mack has been the biggest emergence. The guy's had back-to-back 100-yard games. He has given this offense a little balance. And you talk about that offensive line being able to kind of control the line of scrimmage. They've been able to do that. The big thing besides Mack, Andrew Luck and the efficiency of the passing game. Everyone thinks about this being the old Andrew Luck. He wants to throw it down the field. No, they are really killing you with the paper cuts. Eric Ebron has been a big factor. All of their tight ends have been factors. I think for them, they have the luxury of being able to avoid the sticky coverage on the outside, work from inside out. I like this game for the Colts. I think they get a chance to move on. Chargers at Raiders. Well, the key to this one for the Chargers, you know, I'll be up there um, looking at this game, Buck, and to me it comes down to really tackling. I mean, this Raiders offense is not a vertical offense. Uh, Carr wants to get the ball out of his hands quickly. He's going to get the ball out underneath, and then you got to rally and tackle. Now, one of the things I think that goes underrated, and, and Derwin James has got a chance to be a defensive rookie of the year, and we've seen the sacks and we've seen the interceptions, but to me what he's done in one-on-one situations as an open field tackler has been probably his best trait, just a reliable tackler in space. And that's going to be the case here for this entire secondary because the ball is going to come out early. Um, This offensive line for the Raiders is not good. They're not going to trust them to hold up, to push the ball vertically down the field. So balls going to backs, balls going to tight ends. You have got to rally to the football and tackle well. I think if the Chargers tackle well, I like their chances in this one. I mean, I like their chances as well because I don't know how the Raiders can pose much of a threat. When I look at this team, I mean, I don't know who scares you on either side of the ball. They don't have many playmakers. You have a quarterback in Derek Carr who can make some things happen, but he doesn't have any weapons on the outside. So I think they will have a tough time scoring. And then defensively, 
how are they going to keep up with a high-powered, explosive offense that not only has the ability to throw it all over the yard, but they can run it? Uh, this is a bad matchup for the Oakland Raiders. It really comes down to the emotional maturity of the Chargers. Can they take care of business? Because they've had the right mindset, I don't think the Oakland Raiders can stay on the field with them. Seahawks at Rams. Look, I understand this year with the Seattle Seahawks, the, uh, the goal has been to keep Russell Wilson healthy, not, haven't unleashed him. As a runner, they've run the ball good with their backs. But this is a game against uh, the Rams, and I know the Seahawks defense has been better, Buck, but the Rams are going to score points. They're at home. They're going to put up some points. So, to me, this is an all-hands-on-deck game. Meaning, okay, not only Russell Wilson have to throw the ball a little bit more than you'd like, I think you have to cut him loose as a runner, make him a threat as a runner. There was a couple times last week against the Chargers where they have this, uh, you know, they play with six offensive linemen a lot with George Fant. Mm-hmm. They have this set where they go two by two and they split out as wide as they can get and they try and lighten up the box and then they were just running some inside runs uh, there. I would like to see them do that same thing, do some zone read because now you've got a light box and it's tough to account for a quarterback in that situation. So I'd look for them to be, I think if they're going to have a chance, I would look for them to be a little more creative and a little more aggressive. Maybe it's a one-time only deal, but in this game, if you're going to be competitive, I got to believe Russell Wilson has to use his legs. Yeah, he has to use everything. This is a, I think this is a must-win game for the Seattle Seahawks, um, especially the way the playoff race is shaping up. They don't want to fall to four and five. Could be tough for them to kind of climb out of that hole. For the L.A. Rams, it is all about the bounce-back game. They talked about the pressure being off, and they're not chasing the undefeated season. Can they clean up some of the issues that showed up in the New Orleans Saints game? The defense, and in particular Marcus Peters, that secondary, got to make sure they shore it up. You have to anticipate that the Seattle Seahawks would kind of test them and see if they can get some of their wide receivers open down the field. I just like the Rams. I think they kind of get it back on track. Offensively, I think they put the pressure on the Seahawks by running at them and seeing if that Seattle defense is good enough to stop Todd Gurley. Dolphins at Packers. Yeah, This, to me, comes down to the Dolphins, Buck, and, and which defense is going to show up. Now, I know uh, Jets offense not very good. Uh, but that was a great effort, picking off Sam Donald four times last week. They hold the uh, the Jets to six points. But you go back to two previous weeks, give up 42 to the Texans, you give up 32 to the Lions. So uh, I don't know which defense is going to show up in this one. Uh, we'll, we'll see. That's going to be huge against the Packers team. I think this is a winnable game for the Dolphins, who are, are kind of sneaky here at 5-4. and four. I, I think they've got a chance to go in there and sneak out a win against this Packers group. But to me, this defense has to show what they showed last week, which was an aggressive ball-hawking performance. Yeah, this is a who-are-you game uh, for me when it comes to the Green Bay Packers. Who are they? What's their identity? How are they going to elect to play the rest of this season? Is this an opportunity for Mike McCarthy to put it all on Aaron Rodgers and say, look, Aaron, run with it. Do whatever it is you want to do on offense in terms of going no huddle, controlling the game from the line of scrimmage. Or does he try and still play a little more balanced, try to run the ball, try to do some of the things that we all on the outside would suggest that the Packers need to do? This is a critical situation for the Green Bay Packers. In most of those situations, they typically lean on number 12. I think this is a number 12 game. Aaron Rodgers will dictate the terms. I think when he dictates the terms, they're the best. I think the Packers win because Aaron Rodgers is going to have a magical game. Ooh, and he's not hot. Cowboys at Eagles. Oh, this is a tough one for the Dallas Cowboys, a team that's really reeling here at 3-5 and five in the – I'd say it's a must-win game, right? They can't afford to go to 3-6 and six if they have any aspirations of getting into the postseason. And this is a team clearly felt they were postseason worthy. You don't go out and make that trade uh, for Amari Cooper unless you think you've got a chance to, to get into the postseason. So uh, there is a lot on the line here for the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm anxious to see what, what, what are they going to do style-wise against the Philadelphia Eagles offensively. Are they going to come out and try and spread you out and throw it all over the yard? Are they going to come out and establish the run with Ezekiel Elliott. To me, I think that's what this game is for them if they're going to be successful. It is a physical line of scrimmage game. They have to establish that early, get the run game going right away. Yeah, they have to get the run game going right away. They have to find a way to put Dak Prescott in his comfort zone. They have to really not even think about Dak Prescott. This has to be about your best players. It has to be about Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott needs to touch the ball 30 times. So if they do that, they have an opportunity. For the Philadelphia Eagles, it's personal. Jason Kelsey basically said um, how the Eagles feel about the Dallas Cowboys, how they feel about their fans, how they feel about this division rivalry. I think because of that, we will get 
a heightened performance from the Philadelphia Eagles. They will be focused. They will be intent on not only knocking off the Dallas Cowboys, but getting back on track. And really, the debut of Golden Tate is something that I'm excited about. How will Golden Tate be integrated into this offense? He's a catch-and-run specialist. He's a perfect fit for their RPO game. Let's see how the Eagles elect to use him because he can help Carson Wentz play at even a higher level than he's played thus far. Giants at 49ers. Well, to me, for the Giants, this is uh, this is all about Eli Manning. And, Buck, I, I do believe if he does not play well, that, that might be it for him uh, with the New York Giants as their starting quarterback. As bad as they've been offensively, there's some pressure on him going on the road here against a, a bad, let's be honest, a bad 49ers team as well, uh, but one that's coming off of a big win over the Oakland Raiders. So, uh, to me, all eyes are on Eli Manning. Get the ball out of your hands. I think you're going to see Saquon Barkley. I'll make a prediction. Uh, Saquon Barkley is going to catch eight, nine, ten balls in this game. They're going to try and get him the ball out in space and, and let him go. Uh, but this game, to me, all comes down to Eli Manning. This uh, this is a big one for him. It is a big one for Eli Manning. I mean, because all eyes are on him. Everyone is looking at what he has around him in terms of the personnel, and you're hoping that he can play better. He needs to be able to outplay the guy on the other side. Uh, when I look for the 49ers, we can talk about the offense and the great job that Kyle Shanahan has done with any and all quarterbacks. With it. But I think it comes down to the defense. Their defense has played surprisingly well. This defense should be able to get after Eli Manning. I think the defense will end up being the story when we look at this game coming on Tuesday. All right, Buck, excited for our next guest. Someone who's been on the show uh, multiple times here, a good friend of the program, Jordan Palmer, joining us right now. And uh, JP, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good. Oh, doing good. Doing good. Uh, one, thing we, uh, one thing we're always focusing on, as you know, uh, always taking a look at these quarterbacks, and nobody better to have on to talk about them than you. I wanted to, uh, first of all, just jump into some of these rookies, uh, what you've seen from them. I know uh, Sam Darnold's got a little bit of a foot injury, so it looks like he's going to be down for a little bit. Uh, what have you seen from uh, from Sam thus far this season? You know, I think with Sam, um, I think he's seen what, what a lot of us expected, which is a lot of poise, um, uh, short-term memory in terms of mistakes, uh, which are inevitable for young guys. Um, and, and we've also seen some, some mistakes. I'm a big believer that um, for, for quarterbacks at any level, there's certain interceptions that you got to throw to know that you can't throw that ball. If you can get those things out of the way on a year like this, then um, I, I think he's trending in the right direction. Yeah, and, and, and to that point, you know, like with young quarterbacks, just in general, do you feel like it's better to put – a lot on a young quarterback's plate right away to kind of see what it, they eventually can handle? Or do you think quarterbacks that jump into systems that are a little more simplistic, that a little more remedial benefit from maybe having some early success, even though they're not being challenged to do it at an advanced level? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think it's it's pretty specific to the – and I apologize, I got my baby in the car um, I think it's specific to the, uh, uh, to the situation. So – uh, for example, two years ago with Deshaun Watson, that's a team that could win last year. Uh, I mean, obviously they did. That's that's a team where man, we got a great defense, we got a great wideout, we have a lot of things in place. Um, you know, we we got to we got to push this quarterback and just get him to help us win these games. When you look at Sam and Josh, are in situations where it's all about developing, and that team is not winning a lot of games, and that's there's not all the pieces in place then um, I think it's about getting him as much experience as possible. And it just depends on the situation. What year is that GM on his contract? What's the coaching situation? How new is that staff? How far away are they? And when you look at Sam and you look at Josh, and I think you look at Josh Rosen as well, those are not teams that, that are built to win right now. Uh, and and so it's, in my experience, or my, my opinion, it's get him as much reps and as much experience as you can. All right, so in, in, in thinking about, like, you know, the Deshaun Watson factor, because you talked about Deshaun in his first year, they wanted to win, and so it seemed like they just kind of made a radical overhaul in their offense. But when you look at Deshaun, early in the year people were wondering, what's going on, what's wrong with Deshaun? What is it about Deshaun Watson that allows him to bounce back from tough moments to eventually figure it out and then to become a player no matter what he's playing in? Yeah, I think with Deshaun, he's got such a unique um, aspect of his game, and, and a lot of it ties with how he grew up and the over uh, the adversity that he's overcome his entire life. Deshaun just processes adversity and pressure different than anybody I've ever been around. And if you think about the way that he grew up, you know, in in poverty and and helping raise his family and all the everyone's heard the stories. 
Playing Bama is not that big a deal. Being down not that big a deal. Throwing a pick's not that big a deal. He just has a different perspective on adversity. And the second part of it is, I think out of any teammate I've ever had, and Deshaun's not a teammate of mine, but I haven't been around somebody who literally enjoyed and felt so grateful for the situation he was in. I've never been around anybody like it. And so he genuinely loves studying. He loves watching tape. He loves being down. He, he just loves all of it. So when they start off 0-3, and we had a great conversation after that week, it was always in his mind just a matter of time before everything started clicking again. It was never, this thing's falling apart. Oh, my gosh, this is all going to come undone. It was always in his mind just a matter of time. And he took ownership. It's a matter of time until it slows back down for me and I get caught up and I start playing better and I see the field better. Uh, it's a matter of time until these other parts of our team start connecting. And then they just rattle off, what is it, six in a row? Yep. It was always a matter of time with Deshaun. It was, he didn't have a panic button. Like, he never seen one before. JP, I got a question for you. Just, uh, you know, something that we notice every week when we're watching watching tape is uh, I don't know that I've ever seen. I mean, I know when the Rams, when the greatest show on turf kind of got rolling, um, they kind of, I think it was Mike Martz, obviously, all the, all the shifts and motions. It seemed like they were just doing a little bit more pre-snap movement than everybody else. And now with, with McVay and Andy Reid and, and, and now you're seeing Nagy with the Bears, I can't recall a time where we've seen this many teams uh, being this active uh, pre-snap. And just from a quarterback's perspective, what kind of information can you glean when you're getting all that, that movement and, and forcing a defense to react before you even snap the football? Well, I think anything you do pre-snap, there's really two goals. And, and you can either be trying to accomplish one of these, none of these, or both of these. When you're moving people around pre-snap, a shift and then a motion, anything like that, or exploding from one formation and five guys move to a new formation, what you're doing is there's an opportunity to deceive the defense, and there's also an opportunity to gather information. So, for example, if I have a receiver to the left by himself, but I start off with a running back outside of him, I motion that running back back into the backfield. I'm going to be able to tell, very simply, is there a linebacker or safety on that running back? That's going to be man-to-man coverage. That's going to tell me there's a high likelihood that that's man-to-man coverage. If that running back was lined up outside the receiver and a corner was just bumped out with him, I move the running back back next to me in shotgun, and everybody kind of slides over, high likelihood that that's zone defense. Now, that's not, not every shift in motion is going to give you that sort of information, but you're either trying to deceive the defense and confuse them or get them caught off guard or get somebody misaligned, or you're trying to gather information for both. And the beauty of it is with these young quarterbacks is it's, it's not very complex for the quarterbacks to deal with a lot of pre-snap. Now, having really complex reads once they say set hut, yeah, that's difficult. And so what they're doing, and a lot of times with these young guys, with Mahomes, with Jared, with Deshaun, is they're doing a lot of bells and whistles pre-snap to deceive and gather information. But then when they say set hut, it's still a pretty simple read in a lot of, a lot of times. It's still read this guy. If he goes inside, we're going here. It's still one high, two high coverage. It's still man zone read. So they're simplifying the post-snap, um, uh, what's on the quarterback's plate mentally post-snap. But pre-snap, adding that element, it puts in, it's more for the defense to handle than it is for the quarterback to handle. He essentially just has to spit it out and trust that his guys are doing it. You know, and, and to that point, because I've seen this debate kind of rage on Twitter or whatever, you're talking about pre-snap movement or whatever, there's been a debate in the conversation about empty formation and why are so many young quarterbacks playing in empty formation sets or whatever. Uh, explain to me the benefit uh, of using empty and some of the dangers that also go along with emptying the formation out, not having a back in the backfield. Yeah, when you empty the formation out, I think the, the casual football fan would say, well, it, why do they do that? It's so obvious. They've only got five blocks. It's so obvious they're going to pass. It also limits the amount of coverages you can play. There's a lot of coverages that are only to a two-by-two two, or only to a three-by-one or only to a condensed set or only to a swap. And when you get in the three-by-two and empty formation, uh, there's just a handful of coverages they can play, and more importantly, there's a handful of pressures they can play. It's, it, you don't see a lot of just press cover one, cover, you know, man-to-man coverage in, in empty because they don't need to add that extra guy in the box because there's no threat of real threat of run. And I don't want five guys on an island one-on-one with one safety in the middle field helping. So cover one's kind of out. 
and I could go down the list, but it really simplifies the amount of uh, coverages they can play. Not to mention, you know, everybody's getting paid to watch to watch tape during the week, and so, you know, if I'm playing the whoever Jacksonville Jaguars, when I pull up their their defensive cutups on on how they play empty, you're going to probably see two or three variations of coverages, two or three variations of pressures, and so you kind of limit what they can do. And it allows you to really focus on how you're going to combat that and how you're going to attack it. What are the keys, JP? Because we've seen this, the NFL style of defense uh, is almost kind of morphed into what we've seen at the college level. We always talk about the, the college concepts on the offensive side of the ball, uh, making the ways to the NFL. But I think the, the mindset defensively has now gone from Saturdays to Sundays and that we're not going to get caught up in yards and moving the football what we've got to do is we've got to create a turnover or two to give our offense an extra possession. But even more importantly than that, we're going to play great red zone defense and try and you know limit the threes instead of sixes. But when you look at red zone offense and you're looking you know throughout your career and as you've been doing this for such a long time, what is the key to being a successful red zone offense in the NFL right now? You know, I think uh, I, I think it's spot on in terms of. Saturdays moving to Sundays, what, what we're seeing on offense. And it'll pick up, too, on defense, too, because it's the same thing that you do in college to stop these threat offenses and the same things with defense. All defenses are going to need to do. But when it comes to red zone, uh, the the need for accuracy and timing, is uh, it goes through the roof. And, and it's not accuracy like if you hit the guy in the face on that post route, but there's certain balls that can, that can get completed at, on a receiver's chest so if he runs a slant route from the five-yard line and he beats the guy inside, you know, just put it on his chest, or some people would say to put it low. Um, but then there's levels where his eyes, to as far as he can send his hands in the air, that becomes an area where there's certain parts, there's certain throws that can be made right there. And then there's certain throws where I, I always say, like, put it on the rim, where the only way that ball's getting caught is if that receiver is his arms extended and he's basically, you know, off the ground by a foot or two. You know, he's, he's extended and he's jumped, and that's the only area that that ball can get caught. So not necessarily the area of the end zone, is it the right pylon, is it the middle, but more or less, there's I, I call them kind of vertical levels, and when quarterbacks kind of miss low and it looks like it hit the guy in the face and the DB got a hand on the ball, it, you know, a casual football fan would say, man, that was a pretty good throw, great play by the defense. No, that ball can only get completed in that on, on the rim, in that upper zone. And so... I, what, I, what we're seeing a, a lot of teams struggle with is, I think, that timing and that accuracy uh, and those guys being on the same page. And then when you see it working, like Michael Tom- the difference between Michael Thomas and Julio Jones, who can't, you know, they, they, can't, they haven't been able to connect a whole lot, I think it's just a, they're not on the same page either with timing or with accuracy. You know, and thinking about some of, like, the younger quarterbacks, like in the college ranks, uh, guys that we've seen personally at Elite 11, um, talk a little bit about a Will Greer and some of the stuff that you notice, not only what he does like physically, but what you know about him on the inside that may lead you to believe that he could be a pretty good player at the next level. You know, he's, he's overcome a lot and he's been exposed to a lot. Um, I don't know that everybody knows this, but he's got two little brothers and they're like multimillionaires and they're like 18. He's been exposed to a whole other world that just college kids haven't been exposed to, good and bad. And the adversity of everything that happened at Florida, um, leaving, being out, getting married, having a kid, getting a second chance, making uh, making the most of it for sure. Um, he's been through a lot for his age. Um, and the success and the adversity that he's had along the way is, is, is shaping who he is. But then he goes to this offense where he's got guys who can go at the wideout position. Jake Spavadol is a great coordinator. Uh, great teacher of the game, great play caller. And I think with Will, you know, there's a lot of what he's doing is running around and making it happen. The evolution of Will will be consistency. He's made, That last throw he made the other day, unbelievable throw. I mean, he was like off balance for no reason. So as he can continue to grow and developing the consistency of his mechanics to be able to make the same throw every single time, um, I think that's where we're going to see really – we're getting a chance to see how high his ceiling is with some of these spectacular plays and, and these crazy numbers. Um, but his trajectory will be based off of how high his floor raises. And when I'm coaching guys, everything is about 
setting a trajectory for where we think you can go. And we want to, I always want to make sure we're raising the floor and raising the ceiling. Raising the ceiling is working on things that are spectacular and creating time and throwing across your body and all that stuff. Uh, raising the floor is, for Sam Darnold, keeping two hands on the ball. Mm-hmm. For Josh Allen, keeping all your cleats in the ground so you're not bouncing on your toes and overstriding. Raising the floor. And so with Will, I think there's an opportunity for him to raise his floor, which is going to increase his trajectory. Hey, two other guys I want to talk to you about real briefly because we had them this summer. Uh, they came through. Jarrett Stidham and Drew Locke. Both of those guys have been on a bit of a roller coaster ride this year, but just talk about what they bring physically and mentally to the position. Yeah, two interesting guys in, in interesting spots. You know, Jarrett is dealing with some adversity down in Auburn. I'll leave it at that. Um, and just the offense and how they're doing things down there. And it's, it's a, he's a classic example of a guy who's going to be a much better pro than he has been college player. And with that being said, it's been a really good college player. I mean, people forget last year, Jarrett and the Auburn Tigers beat Bama and Georgia. Um, and for his year to, to, to deal with a lot of the things that he's dealing with there um, and to be able to string together last week, he had a good one. He's got a chance to rattle off a couple. Uh, he's got a couple monster games. He's got Georgia and Bama coming up. Um, you know, Jarrett's a kid physically. When we get to going through this draft process, um, a big storyline, a, a lot of conversations we've talked about Jarrett's arm talent. Um, because he throws it is, is right right with the, the best guys I've been around in terms of velocity and touch and just a smooth stroke. And I remember it from high school when he was uh, coming out of Stephenville, Texas, going to going to Baylor. I mean, we were it's he's always had that. And Drew Locke is similar. Um, you know, he's a kid who could have gone anywhere. Went to Missouri, stayed there. He's been really loyal to that place. Got a new offensive coordinator who's running more pro style stuff this year. Not always on the, not all their guys are always on the same page. He's got some playmakers, kind of, but they also get scored on. It's just kind of like a weird situation that's that is pretty common actually. Um, but in terms of what he has physically, uh, both those guys are, are are upper echelon arm talent. Uh, and the thing about Drew Locke, people don't realize too, is he had some big time Division One basketball offers. This is a very smooth very twitchy athlete and uh and they're both dynamic leaders and, and just good dudes to be around and i am flying to missouri tomorrow to watch them play vanderbilt and spend the weekend with them i want to ask you about one more guy here before i, I let you run we appreciate your time uh daniel jones down there at duke uh somebody i got a chance to, to uh get about four games in on him he's he's intriguing man i see a little bit i see a little bit of of matt ryan when i watch him just kind of move around and, and throw the ball but i know you've had some exposure to him what are your thoughts on him yeah, Matt Ryan's a good comp. I think he's more athletic than Matt. Um, but he, uh, it's so funny because you just think Duke and you don't, you don't think about it if I said, oh, they come from, you know, big time SEC school or something. Um, I had a chance to spend some time with him this last offseason. And, uh, you know, he was bigger than I thought. And then he starts moving around and he's moving around a lot quicker than I thought. And I was like, why didn't I think it would be like that? And it's just when they come from schools where we're not used to saying, um, you know, I think we, we, we kind of go into it with that mindset. And I think that's also true of the NFL evaluation community because there's a lot of he's coming out of nowhere and these draft boards and the way too early drafts. And no one had heard of him a year ago. In fact, I heard about him through a buddy. And that's when I started paying attention. And, but when I got to spend uh, some time with him, I realized that this, uh, he's a franchise guy. Um, he's going to be a, a big story during the draft process just because so many people know so little about him. Um, almost as if Josh Allen would have come out that not last year, the year before mm-hmm. that really came out of nowhere, really intriguing. and Everybody's rushing to, to, to figure him out. Uh, Daniel's going to have a little bit of that. Um, if he comes out this off season and, and, uh, but the reality is he has, uh, he's had very, very consistently, very poor protection. And there's going to be zero questions about his toughness because he is taking it on the chin very consistently. Um, he, uh, his mechanics, I think, for his age uh, are really routine. Uh, he's really consistent. Um, and then he's, he's, you know, he's 6'4", he's 225, 230-ish. He's a really good athlete, and, and he's just been around the Mannings and David Cutcliffe for a long time, and those are the types of guys you bet on. There you go. I, I think we're good there, JP. We appreciate your time, man. We love uh, catching up with you in the spring as we get towards the draft, but uh, a pleasure to have you on here during the regular season as well. Thanks so much, buddy. Oh, man, it's an honor. You guys are the best. Thanks for having me.
All right, Brock. Well, that was a uh, fun conversation there with Jordan Palmer, our buddy. Some great insight there on these quarterbacks. It's it's fun to talk to him in the in the run up to the draft. But I like getting a chance to to pick his brain a little bit in the middle of the season. That was fun. It was fun. Look, he's a super smart guy. He knows a lot about quarterback play. He knows a lot about developing them, developing them on the ground level and also tweaking them and helping them find their games at the higher level. Terrific resource for us to be able to tap into. All right, we're going to get into these uh, college matchups and make our picks here in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to go back to last week because uh, I think we could say you had a little luck here uh, in terms of the timing of our guests. We had Will Greer join the podcast last week before their big game against Texas. We all know how that game ended. But I thought before we look forward, uh, let's look back for just a second. Excited to be joined by our next guest, uh, a good buddy of ours. We got to know a little bit at the Elite 11, uh, West Virginia quarterback Will Greer. Join us. I feel really comfortable uh, going into a Saturday like, I, like I've already kind of played the game in my head. Greer throws down the field, wide open, still makes the catch, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, end zone. Touchdown, David Sills. He is going to give you everything that he can to be that franchise quarterback that you want him to be. You only get so many opportunities, and I, and I tried to instill that in my teammates. We're running for the end zone. Will Greer's in. Two-point conversion. How do you like Will Greer legs? It's over. 42-41, and it is a great night to be a Mountaineer. Uh, passion and pride is in our blood for this state. These, these fans and these people are uh, hardworking people that have a lot of passion. You know, it's an honor to represent. Well, there you go. Uh, how about that for a little uh, good luck? For Will Greer coming on the MTS pod and then going out there and handling his business at the end of that game. That was a fun game to watch last week, Buck. It was a fun game to watch. I mean, look, his ability to make big plays down the stretch really was eye-opening for me. That throw that he made, the touchdown throw, and then to have the moxie to have the two-point conversion, convert it, to have a timeout, have to redo it, and then he did it with his legs, says a lot about him. I like him a lot. I think his performance is one that NFL scouts will look at hard as a signature moment for him. Well, speaking of performances, last week, Bucky Brooks had a good performance. That's right, 9-2 yeah, and two Yeah, but everyone went 9-2. It didn't help anybody. It didn't help me. Wow. didn't help well, me. I think it was a gap. I went last I, place. Not... I was only 8-3. and three. Yeah, I mean, Kent's got to step it up a little bit. I think Will Greer's team is going to lose to TCU in Morgantown on Saturday. It's not on our predictions, wow. but I'm calling the upset. Well, there you go. I'll give you a little bonus if that if that were correct. You're in first place right now, Kent. Am I getting? Am I closing the gap at all on you overall? How far back am I? You're three games back. Yeah, you're right there. Solly seven back. Bucky's ten back. So yeah, right now you're second ten. place. Ten back. Gosh, Buck, it, just, it feels like just yesterday, Buck. You were like in first place in this thing. Man, I had a bad couple of weeks. That's what happens when you always try and go chalk. All right, Buck. Let's jump into these uh, these college games here. What do you think here? We've let's got Clemson, it. Boston College. This one's easy, right? Yeah, it's pretty easy. I'm gonna go with Clemson in this. I like Boston College in the way they play. I like the physicality and toughness of their squad. I just think Clemson is a much much better team. Now I'm gonna go Ditto on that one. Everybody picking Clemson in this one. Next one. Now come on, Alabama at home against Mississippi State. Come on, let's make it a clean sweep across the board. All Bama. I just gonna see how Mississippi State can pull this one off. Yeah, we're all riding Alabama. All right, Auburn, Georgia. Man, Auburn matches up well with Georgia, but I'm just going with Georgia in this one. I, I can't pick on Auburn to pull the upset. Yeah, I'm going to go Georgia as well. I think Georgia throws it around pretty good in this game. Uh, they get it done. I think that offensive line of Georgia matches up with that defensive line of Auburn. We'll see what happens. All right, Ohio State, Michigan State. Man, Michigan State should be primed for a big upset. I'm going with Ohio State here. I don't have a lot of conviction in this one. They have more talent. I'm just going to bank on the talent being superior, and that is why they walk away with a win. Uh, Sully going Ohio State. Kent, Ohio State. Can't hit my music. Oh, gosh. Barty. Barty at home gets it done, and after this game, people are talking about, is this Urban Meyer's final season at Ohio State? That's the conversation, Buck. That is the conversation. That is. All right, let's go. Keep amazing that Keep you're going on here, your Buck. own. That's amazing. Yeah, I can't believe you're going to Michigan State. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's the next game, Bucky? What we got? Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma. I'm going with Oklahoma in this. I saw the pokes early in the season. Yeah, I think Oklahoma has this one. Yeah, I'm going Oklahoma. I think we're all going Oklahoma on that one. Keep it rolling. What we got? Boise State versus Fresno State. Fresno on the road at Boise. I am going with the Bulldogs. Jeff Tefford has the Bulldogs playing at a high level. 
Yeah, they're doing great. Sully going with Fresno. Kent going with Fresno. All of you guys going with the road team here. Oh, my uh, gosh. Except for me. Hit my music. <laughs> You're wrong, DJ. You're wrong. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe you're on your own with that. But if you feel good about Boise State, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you take another L. Uh, next up, we have Washington State at Colorado. Uh, I'm going to go Washington State. Yeah, I got Washington State in that one. Two, next game, Oregon at Utah. Ooh, Ooh. Kent and Sully, man, we're house divided. Kent and Sully at Utah. Utah, I am going with the Oregon Ducks. What say you, DJ? Yeah, I like Oregon. Oregon on the road, put up enough points. I don't think Utah, with the injuries they've had, can keep up. I'll go Oregon. Mm. All right, here we go. Texas at Texas Tech. Oh, man, the Red Raiders can put up a lot of points, but I'm going with the Horns. We're hooking them this week. Yeah, I'm with you, Buck. Ditto. Here we go. So it's a clean sweep across the board. Sully and Kent also take Texas. Final game, the Baylor Bears at Iowa State. Man, Kent's going with Iowa State. Sully's going Iowa State. I'm the Iowa State. Oh my gosh! So I'm the lone, I'm the lone wolf. Hit the music, hit the music. Come on, Baylor. Come on, let's have one. Let's By the way, one. guys, I think Iowa State, as of today, is the best team in the Big Twelve. Better than Oklahoma. Oh. Better than Texas. Oh. Brock Purdy's an awesome freshman. We already talked Matt Campbell last week. David Montgomery's going to be an NFL back, and they—they're the only team in the conference that actually plays defense. The only one. Used to be TCU. They handed that crown over to Iowa State. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a fun episode today, boys. Are we uh, anything else? What are you working on for the notebook, Buck? I am working on the Des Bryant reaction, what it does, and how it impacts the Saints. I'm also talking about what is wrong with Marcus Peters and Josh Gordon's emergence as the Patriots' number one receiver. Oh, there you go. NFL.com/slash Bucky Brooks. Check out Bucky's notebook each and every week. Yeah, it's a must read. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys for checking out the podcast. Check out the videos, nfl.com slash mtsvideo or youtube.com slash nfl. And we'll catch you next week right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.